chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're picking up where we left off about a month and a half ago now uh, in John 9. So we'll be starting at verse 1, but the sermon text today will be verses 8 through 41. Just be uh, reviewing a little bit of the context there. So John 1, starting at verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's word. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the mud and made mud uh, on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, "Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, "Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?" Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself." His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? 
And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Since the reading of God's word may bless it to us. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful miracle that your son Jesus Christ has performed. Please be with us now, be with the preaching of your word. May our eyes be opened by your Holy Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think are life's most important questions? Will you marry me? Is it a boy or is it a girl? What's the prognosis? Should I stay or should I go? These are some of life's great questions, right? And these are the kinds of questions people live for and die for. These are the kinds of questions people plan their lives around. These are the kinds of questions people uproot entire families to answer. But they pale in comparison to the question that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ presents us with this morning. You see, brothers and sisters, your eternal life hangs on your answer to this one question. All the answers to the questions on that previous list don't hold a candle to Jesus' question this morning because this world and everything in it is passing away and will be gone in the blink of an eye. This question is, do you believe in the Son of Man? And furthermore, how do you know that you actually believe? Brothers and sisters, we are going to see that Jesus healed a man born blind, and because of who Jesus is, he is to be worshipped. To see this, we're going to be taking a look at uh, briefly at the backdrop, then we're going to be looking at three different ways to disbelieve, and then finally taking a look at a confession. So we're going to be looking briefly at the backdrop, three different ways to disbelieve, and a confession. With that, let's get started by taking a brief look at the backdrop. So, so we have this man that has been born blind, from, he's been blind from birth, who has just been healed by Jesus so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is what we covered last time, and, and now we are seeing the effects of this healing, uh, uh, the healings of this man on the broader community. And after all, as we see later in our passage this morning, the healing of a man born blind is not something that happens every day. In fact, it has never happened before. So you can probably imagine the buzz that this might have had on the people around this man. So even knowing what we know now about science, about how God designed the human eye, this is even more amazing. After, after our first sermon in this chapter, a brother came up to me and he shared that studies now show that not only would this man's eyes need to be you know, fixed, but all of the neural pathways that connect his eyes to his brain would have to be fixed as well. It's as if you know, new eyes were given to him, he would also need a hardware upgrade in order for the new eyes to even work. So knowing what we know now... You know, this is even more of an amazing miracle than than it looks at first blush. So it's with this that we take a look at three different ways to disbelieve. First, we have the disbelief of skepticism. Now that this man has been healed, the rumor mill is firing up, and and all of the man's neighbors and the people who had seen him before as a beggar are starting to ask questions. Verse 8 tells us that they say, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
These people were dumbfounded. This couldn't possibly be true, could it? You, you, you see this in their response in verse 9. Some said it is he, while others said, no, but he is like him. It's easier for these people to believe that this is an imposter rather than that man who was born blind who has now been healed. This is the magnitude of the miracle that Jesus has just worked in front of all of them. And, and, and we see this because our brother is left constantly trying to convince them. The text says, he kept saying to them, I am the man. What a strange thing to have to do. I mean, this is the man born blind to us here today, right? But these people probably knew him by name. You know, these, these were the kind of people that when they were walking by, they may have thrown a couple of denarii in the cup as he sat there and begged. But they aren't having any of this. These, these people press on saying, then how were your eyes opened? So in verse 11, he answers them, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. This man identifies Jesus as the one who performed the, this miraculous healing and then tells the people what transpired. But it's still not good enough for them. So, so they come back to him asking, where is he? But our brother doesn't know. It's not enough that these people have a first-hand account of what actually happened. It's not enough that this guy is actually standing there in front of them seeing things. They just can't bring themselves to accept what has taken place. This is a clear example of the fact that unbelief is a moral issue long before it's a rational one. So we see that this man's community is cynical. They are skeptical because they cannot wrap their heads around what just happened. Cynicism is the first form of disbelief that we see in our passage today. In our day and age, we, we, we see society's priests often wear white lab coats and doubt is cast on things like, like this miracle of Jesus, like his, like his death and resurrection in the name of science. Now, please note, I'm not bashing science here. I think science is a wonderful endeavor and we are called to steward the Lord's uh, earth and his creation and that means learning everything that we can about it, but it, it's in light of God's inerrant inspired word. Second, we have the, the, the disbelief of defiance. The, the Inquisition gets so heated that the people end up bringing our brother to the Pharisees. The, the, the zealous religious leaders of the day because Jesus had performed this miracle on a Sabbath day. Again, the Pharisees lay into him about how he had received his sight. And again, this man says, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. You get the sense that our brother's getting a little annoyed here as, as the answers get a little bit more abrupt and a little bit shorter each and every time as we go on. And at this, some of the Pharisees just become indignant in verse 16. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. R.C. Sproul points out in his commentary that these Pharisees added 39 uh, extra types of work that were illegal on the Sabbath. And one of these, these uh, works was the kneading of bread. So these guys are, are equating Jesus' making of mud on the Sabbath to, to something like this. So, so, so never mind the fact that this man who was born blind is healed and is actually seeing. The real problem here is that Jesus mixed mud and, and performed this healing on the Sabbath. Like he, he did work. But others among the Pharisees said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? They understood that, that miracles were divine attestations. Something truly amazing has clearly happened here, but these Pharisees are left wondering how they are going to move forward. Either way, these guys are mad. And, their anger, and in their anger, they turn to the man born blind and ask him, what do you say about him 
since he has opened your eyes. Brothers and sisters, how would you feel if you were put in this position? Or better yet, how do you feel when you are put in this position? You know, we live in a day and an age when, when, when knowing how to live as a Christian in this world is becoming more and more difficult. It's more and more challenging as well. We, we, we have to stand for God and his truth when, whenever we, we're confronted with confessing Christ in areas such as human sexuality or, or gender or race or morality in general. Um, but this man, he doesn't miss the opportunity to answer with, with the kind of gospel indignance of his own here in verse uh, 17. He tersely says, he is a prophet. I mean, this is scandalous, right, to the Pharisees. Our brother confessed what he knew to be true, and may we all have the courage to do the same when our time comes by the grace of God. But neither the testimony of this man or everything that they knew about this man, everything that they held true about him up until this point in life held any weight for them. Think about what this would have meant for the Jewish people if this was true. If, if, if this Jesus... Is, is who he says he is, then life as they knew it was over. They lose their concept of a military messiah who, who was going to end Roman oppression. They lose the law that they had built their lives around. And they lose their pride as, as, as they sought to establish their own righteousness. These Pharisees are defiant. They, they can't bring themselves to, to believing, so, so they grasp aimlessly for any reason they can in order to discredit what they know to be true. Defiance is the second form of unbelief we see in our passage this morning. And we can see it manifest itself in the rampant pleasure-seeking of our day, for instance. You know, Christianity costs people their, their sexual gratification, their idolatry, their, their, their self-righteousness according to the world. And they would rather tear down Jesus, his church, and any Christian in their way rather than give up the lusts and passion of this present evil age. Regardless if it's true or not, they don't care because they want what they want. And this brings us to our final form of disbelief in our passage this morning, the disbelief of fear. The Jews just could not believe that this man had actually been born blind and had received his sight until they called his parents here in verse 18. Therefore, rather than trust in everything that they tangibly knew about this man throughout his lifetime, they sequester his parents from among their ranks. So they, they get his parents up here and they ask, is this your son who you say has been born blind? How then does he now see? And we see their response in verse 20. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. This man has just endured his community, his neighbors, his religious leaders, but now he has to endure the testimony of his own family his own parents. I know that some of you here today have had to, to, to have this conversation with, their parent, with your parents before too, and, and it's simply heartbreaking, isn't it? This, this had to be agonizing for his parents too as we get a little bit more context in verses 22 and 23 where we read, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is just devastating for this family. These parents are stuck between loving and supporting their son who has been miraculously healed by this Jesus and everything that they hold to be dear in their religious community and in their worldview. The parents of this man 
born blind are fearful. They are afraid of what others will think and how they will be received. Fear is the third form of disbelief that we see in our passage this morning. And we see it today too. How many times have we cowered from praying at that business luncheon or, or around the dinner table with those liberal friends or afraid of putting our head down at the lunch table around our classmates? We want to be liked by our peers. This is only one example, but we, but we know about this all too well to our shame. But the onslaught continues in verse 24. They call the man born blind a second time and say to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're saying, watch who you are praising. You know, we, we, we'd hate for you to be labeled a blasphemer. In his commentary on this passage, D.A. Carson says that these Pharisees are contesting that, that this man is surely hiding something from them that would enable them to, ease, uh, to be at ease with their given, that, that Jesus Christ is actually a sinner. That's what they want to believe. The truth is that these Pharisees will accept any explanation rather than the obvious one. And what is this man's response? Well, he answers, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was born blind, now I see. He says, look, I'm not saying anything other than the facts here. All I know is that I was blind, then all this stuff happened, and now I can see. He is simply connecting the dots, and the truth is infuriating to these Pharisees. As if they didn't get it the first few times, the Jewish leaders again ask, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man fires back, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? He's not backing down and this man is even going on the offensive. The Pharisees aren't particularly pleased with this and they come back with, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. It's as if they're saying, aha, you know, the, Mo- the Moses trump card has been played, the gauntlet has been thrown. How could this man born blind possibly trump Moses? He is the paradigm prophet of the Old Testament, the man with whom God spoke with face to face as a friend, the one whom God gave the Ten Commandments and the one who led Israel into the promised land. Checkmate. But this doesn't even phase our brother here. He expertly points out the massive hole in their argument. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees admit that they don't know where Jesus comes from and the man born blind tears their argument apart. Our brother has experienced the miraculous saving work of Jesus and he can't help but stand for him. These Pharisees, these religious leaders of God's chosen people, these men who have the word of God can't see who this Jesus is, but this man knows. And you can see that they are at a complete loss because they resort to petty personal attacks in the following verse. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. What would you teach us? And they cast him out. And we can connect the, the dots in our own lives, can't we? Think of all the wonderful testimonies that we hear with new members and profession of faith. These are supernatural, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> supernatural evidences of God's work here in the lives of Harvest Church. 
When we think of all the sin and depravity Jesus has delivered us from before a holy God, it gives us both the ability and the desire to proclaim it. As fallen, as imperfect as we are, but if the gospel is true, how dare we keep it hidden, brothers and sisters? This brings us to our final point, the confession. As we look here at verse 35, we see Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, don't read over this too quickly, brothers and sisters. Jesus, the Son of Man, the one more important than Moses, hears about this believer's plight, and he seeks him out. This, this, is, this is the God we're worshiping today. And when he approaches this man born blind, Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? This raises the question, what is the significance of the title of the Son of Man? Well, some commentators, including Calvin, equate this with the Son of God. And in fact, some of the Greek manuscripts actually say Son of God. The better, the more, the more, uh, the, the, the better rendering of this is actually Son of Man. It's in more of the manuscripts. And this is a reference to Daniel 7, where we can read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So think of the perceived incongruity here, right? To, to the Pharisees, Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth. He hasn't been educated as, as they thought he should have been. He isn't beautiful as, as they thought he should have been, if we look at places like Isaiah 53. And he was not the militaristic Messiah that they were hoping for. But Jesus is sitting here asking this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man born blind answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? This man has been defending Jesus the whole time here, even claiming to be his disciple, and asks for one more clarification. And to this, Jesus gracefully replies, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. This man born blind has seen very little in his lifetime, but the Son of Man is one of the people that he's seen. And to this, the man born blind says in verse 38, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. Our Jesus is the Son of Man. And this man knew it because he had experienced Jesus' power in this miraculous healing. The objective reality of the gospel event here is what anchors this man's faith. Just as the historical and objective reality of Christ's cross and resurrection anchors ours. Beloved, when you really have your eyes opened, to the truth of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and see the weight of your sin before a holy God, you will worship Jesus Christ, this Son of Man, who is better than Moses. He is God incarnate, who came down and lived the perfect life according to the law, the life that we could not live, who died the death that we could not, the, the, to die the death on that cross that we deserved, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven in order that we would have salvation from our sin and have eternal life with him forever in paradise. And he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. When, when you know this Jesus, you can't help but worship him. So the question is, are you worshiping Jesus today, or are you going through the motions of an empty Christianity? 
To worship Christ is to acknowledge his lordship over all of creation and to trust nothing but him for your eternal salvation. The Pharisees knew the law forwards and backwards, and, and even they didn't believe. Verse 39 through 41 state this clearly when we read, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The stark reality of our passage here this morning, brothers and sisters, is that vain platitudes and intellectual assent are just different forms of disbelief. True belief in Jesus looks like worship. The man born blind experienced what Jesus did in his life and by God's grace believed as is evidenced by his worship. As believers, we can struggle with our assurance at times and we need to be constantly presented with the gospel truth over and over again. We find ourselves asking, how can I, even I, be right before a holy God? If we're honest, we know all the evidence that could be laid against us in that argument, right? We, we were there for it. And we ask if this is the real deal. But the truth is right here before our eyes in the, in the pages of Scripture. Uh, it's attested to by the Holy Spirit and it's backed up with historical objective fact. Maybe you're visiting church for the first time and have been wondering what all this Christianity stuff is about. Maybe you're asking yourself, how can any of this possibly be true? How could I possibly be forgiven for the things that, that I've done in the past, the things that I've said, even the things that I've thought? You know, let alone the things I'm going to do after this service. Or maybe you've been here for years and you're asking yourself the same question. The answer is Jesus, Son of Man. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to either reach out to myself or one of the other pastors or any member at this congregation. We'd, we'd love to help you in any way that we can. Uh, if there's any way that we can serve you, please let us know. Friend, in love you have been presented with the glorious truth of the gospel that the truth about Jesus Christ and his saving work. And you can no longer claim ignorance. Will you continue to walk in a cynical, defiant, or fearful disbelief as one who is blind? Will your guilt still remain? Or by God's grace, will you too turn to Jesus and worship the Son of Man as the man born blind did in our passage today? Know Jesus. Know his peace. And may you all... Be so bold as to proclaim him when the time comes. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Father God, we praise you for sending us your son, Jesus Christ, the son of man, that we could be miraculously healed from our sin. We praise you that he is the light of the world and yet seeks us out by the Holy Spirit. For apart from you, we are dead. Forgive us for our battles with disbelief. Forgive us for our skepticism, our defiance, and our fear in light of what has been revealed in your inerrant, inspired word. Thank you for Jesus and the perfect life that he lived, his mighty works, that by his blood, even we have the right to be called your children. Help us to worship him in the face of disbelief. May we always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in him. Help us to boldly proclaim salvation in Christ. We ask now in Jesus' name, that name that is above every name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise and join me now as we sing of this great Jesus, Trinity Hymnal, number 398, Christ whose glory fills the skies.
bringing us the word, brother. It's great to be under your ministry. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen.